Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Well, thank you very much, Mike Ross, for that fine introduction. And welcome, everybody, to episode number 20, Leafs Guy. Jim Taddy with you, talking about the Leafs, of course, getting set for Calgary. Uh, back-to-back home games on Scotiabank Ice Friday and Saturday. And the good news is Wayne Simmons is back. We'll explore all of that. But first, let me tell you this. The tournament is finally here. The brackets have been set. The teams are ready to hit the court. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy, is celebrating with their largest free college basketball survivor pool ever. How large? $1 million in total prizes up for grabs. One million smackers. And if that's not enough, check this out. When you enter the free DraftKings $1 million survivor pool, you could get a shot at winning $10,000 for every upset through the first two rounds of the tournament. Oh, it's easy to play. Just pick one team per day. If they win, you survive and advance to the next round. Last person standing is, yeah, the winner. Remember, you can only pick a team once for the entire tournament, so choose wisely. DraftKings is a safe and secure app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Here is... The call to action. Get in on all of this week's action. Download the DraftKings app now. Enter the code THPN during sign-up and enter the free $1 million survivor pool. Again, the code is THPN to enter into the DraftKings free $1 million survivor pool. Eligibility restrictions and terms and conditions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Okay, let's get into the hockey story, the Leafs story. So, Friday at home to Calgary, Wayne Simmons back in the lineup. Saturday at home to Calgary. And then off until Thursday, they go to Ottawa. And then the following Saturday, which will be March 27th, at home to Edmonton for two to close out the Edmonton series for the regular season. So far, the Leafs are 5-1-1 against the Oilers. And going into tonight's action, Friday night's action, the Oilers and Leafs are actually tied for first in the North Division. But Edmonton has played three more games. So the Leafs have been caught. Let's put it... uh, just let's just put it that way. They've been caught. They've been napping. They've been one and five in their last six games and time now to tighten up the bootstraps. And so a couple of things have happened here. Wayne Simmons, as I said, is in. Galchenyuk recalled. You remember if you were with us on Tuesday, Todd Crocker, the Marley's voice, play-by-play voice, was talking in really glowing terms about Galchenyuk and what he's done for the Marlies, and he got recalled. VC put on waivers claimed by Vancouver. So Galchenyuk goes up now, at least starting with Tavares and Nylander. That may change. We'll see. But it's an audition for Galchenyuk, and that would be a nice fit there. And, of course, you would expect Simmons to sort of be weaned back into the lineup to get back into playing shape. But some options now, and if the Galchenyuk thing doesn't work, Simmons could go back up there and 
General Manager Kyle Dubas said Tuesday afternoon the Leafs will roll the dice in a trade, so they want to roll the dice and get a, a really high-profile player to come in here, and they're willing to pay the price. So th- that is probably the best news Leaf fans have heard in quite some time, that they're willing to go for it. This is an odd season. Uh, anybody can win, and the Leafs have as good a chance as anybody to snap their personal Stanley Cup drought. Coming up in the broadcast today, we're going to have two guests. Dave McCarthy from NHL.com, Sirius XM, NHL Radio Network will be by very shortly. And then we're going to finish off our Joe Bowen backup series. John Abbott was actually the last backup to Joe Bowen after John left. Bonesy then became the full-time radio voice again. He had done television and split his duties over the years, over decades really. And uh, when John left, uh, it sort of coincided with Bonesy going back to just doing radio. So John went to Vancouver, did the Canucks for a while. Right now he's a freelance play-by-play man on the West Coast. Has done, I think, five games he'll admit to uh, doing for TSN on TV this year and is a really good young broadcaster in search of a regular gig. And this is an interesting conversation with him. It goes on for quite some time. John, you know, completes our series of Ken Daniels, Dan Dunleavy, Dennis Bayak, and now John. So these were all the backups for play-by-play. So let's get our first guest now. Let's let's bring in Dave McCarthy and see what he has to say about what happens next for the Leafs. So Dave, plenty to talk about with action this week on the Leafs roster. I, first, I want to zero in on Freddie Anderson, who admitted he's playing through a lower body injury. Uh, normally, a uh, regular player, you wouldn't be concerned because that tells you that the injury can't get any worse. But for a goalie, it's a little a little odd, isn't it? Well, it is a little bit concerning because, you know, goaltenders they rely a lot on their lower body for, for movement, pushing across the crease, post to post, all that. So if there's something that's, that's nagging him, it's not ideal. Uh, but I think what it speaks to more broadly is that, uh, yet again, this season, the Leafs have had to deal with um, a lack of depth in net, right? I mean, they haven't had a lot of options. They've relied a lot on Michael Hutchison. And by and large, he's been better than he was last year, which is, is, a, is a darn good thing for this team. But um, the last little while, uh, he has not been quite as good. And then earlier on in the, uh, the week on Sunday, uh, we sort of saw the return of last year's Michael Hutchison, which, uh, which was not good. So the, the, the problem with Freddie right now is that if the Leafs want to continue to, to, to try to win games, uh, Freddie seems, typically speaking, like their best option because Jack Campbell's been unavailable for the better part of two months. That, to me, is what it comes down to, is that, is that depth in goal has been an issue for this team again this year. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, and Jack Campbell's reoccurring leg injury, it's happened twice now, uh, is a little scary just because if Freddie does go down and Jack's that way, they're, they're, they're going to be in big trouble if there's an injury here. Well, well, absolutely. I mean, I think you could already argue that to an extent they have been in big trouble um, without either of their, their top two goaltenders. I mean, tell me too many teams where you can take away – uh, your top two goaltenders and still remain in the hunt. Hutchison deserves credit. He's played well, a lot better than last year. Um, but is he a guy that you're going to be confident in to rely on down the stretch and into the playoffs? I mean, you hope it doesn't get to that point, and you hope Freddie is is able to sort of sort of shake off whatever it is that's bothering him. And that that Jack Campbell, he's going to be backing up on Friday against the Calgary Flames. Um, that he will be good to go because the thing with with Jack is when he has played on rare occasions this year he's been very good a guy yeah. that you would be comfortable uh, relying on in uh, in a big game so 
you know that that to me is is how I see the goaltending situation. It's just it's it's depth, really. Yeah, it is. So let's get to the other stuff, and I'm just absolutely intrigued by a couple of things. I'm going to start off with the Kyle Dubas statement that they'd be willing to roll the dice to acquire a top end forward to complement what they already have, and, and clearly. It would be the left side they're after. And right now, as we speak, and except for the game Friday night, Galchenyuk set to play with Tavares and Nylander. Simmons back in, uh, working his way back in on the fourth line. The third line is Bikayev, Kerfoot, and Hyman. I mean, there's a lot of movable parts here based on how people are playing. So I guess before we get into what could happen that way, let me ask you this. I mean, somebody has to go. If they're going to bring back a, a really good player, albeit a rental, the salary has to go out. I mean, who is that? Well, I mean, you look at uh, at the options that, that they would have to move right now, and to me, the one that, that jumps out is Alex Kerfoot. He has the most amount of term and the most amount of dollars uh, left on his deal right now at around three and a half. Um, if you move him, you clear some space, and it seems like they're developing a bit of a comfort level with Pierre Engvall as the third-line center. He's going to be down the lineup on Friday uh, against Calgary, centering uh, Simmons and Spezza. But to me, that's how you clear some space, is Kerfoot. I think he's a guy that you could move and you could plug in Engvall in that role on the third line um, at essentially $2 million less, a little more than, I believe, $2 million less, um, and really not have too much of a drop-off. He's the guy that would jump out right away as, as somebody, to me, that you could, uh, you, you could move along. Um, but, you know, at this point, I think it is pretty clear that they do need an upgrade in their top six. We'll see how Galchenyuk uh, performs. He's going to get an opportunity on Friday against Calgary. He's played quite well with the Marlies, right? Like, they didn't just acquire him and then dump him into the lineup. They've, they've put a concentrated effort forward to try to build him back up again and give him a chance to succeed. They've worked him in slowly. Remember, it's been over a month since they acquired him from Carolina. Um, so I, I like how they've taken the approach with Galchenyuk, and who knows? I mean, this is a guy who's had 30 goals in the league um, a number of years ago. Can he get back to that point? We'll see, but it's worth a look to see what they have there. But I think, you know, even in that case, it would behoove this team to try to find an upgrade uh, up front, a guy that can play in your top six, top nine, give you some more lineup flexibility. Uh, it's an area that I think they should look at addressing. Uh, the area that I got confused, and first of all, I applauded Kyle Dubas for coming up with that because I think the fan base absolutely understands it's time to do that. But when he said would be willing to part with a top prospect, mm-hmm. I thought, well, that doesn't help your cap situation. I don't quite understand where he was going there. Do you? Well, I mean, no, but I think if you're going to make a move like that, you're going to have to trade a top prospect and move some money, right? I don't think it's either yeah. or. It's, it's got to be both. Um, because Alex Kerfoot is not going to get, if you t- were to trade him, he's not going to get you what you want in terms of an upgrade in your top six. Uh, you're going to need to include um, a Sandine, um, a Robertson, uh, a Rodion Amarov, uh, someone of that ilk in order to get the type of guy that, that you're looking for. So I think it's a, a both situation. I think that's what he was getting at. Uh, really, is that he understands if you're going to get an upgrade, you got to give something to get something, and that's clearly uh, what it's going to take to give in order to get what they want. Yeah, maybe he just said too many things because he also said rental player, and I wouldn't ever imagine that you would trade 
Robertson or any of those prospects plus Kerfoot for a rental player. That, that's got to be somebody who's coming back in that trade has to have some term. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I did find that a little bit puzzling because that's in stark contrast to the way Kyle has, has always operated. He's been very reluctant uh, to ever uh, give up uh, you know, young pieces whom he considers to be part of the core moving forward, cost-controllable uh, young guys with high upside. Um, and separate that, he's been very reluctant to trade for rental players in the past. The last couple of years, if we recall, acquired Jake Musney, a term left on his deal, acquired Jack Campbell, a term left on his deal. So those are two separate parts. But then to suggest that he's now looking to acquire a rental player and would be willing to give up a top prospect, yeah, that's surprising. But he also went on to say that, look, um, with a flat cap this year, to acquire somebody with, um, with term left on their deal that, that factors into next year's allotment uh, will be a bit of a, a consideration as well, given the fact that uh, Zach Hyman and Freddie Anderson are approaching unrestricted free agency. They've got some internal business uh, to get done. So it's, you know, it's a very sticky, complex situation this, this time around, Jim, with the flat cap. Um, I, I get why he doesn't want to take on term for next year, but man, to give up a, a young prospect, a high level young prospect for a guy that could walk out the door at the end of the year is also something that makes you cringe to an extent. But like we talked about, I, me- I remember on your show a month or so ago, if you feel that this is the year yeah. in order to try to go and win something, well, then you got to try to put the best lineup forward that you have. It, sometimes it is about winning this year and not about always building for next year and next year and next year. And sometimes you got to push your chips to the middle of the table. If you do that, it's a bit of a gamble, but sometimes that's what it takes in order to get the big payoff. Well, I firmly believe they're going to do something and I believe it's going to happen sometime in the next 10 days, just because for logistic reasons, it has to, if you go anything past the end of March, then the guy is allowed to play after the deadline, which isn't enough time to fit him in. So it has to happen really sooner rather than later. And if it does happen, then you're looking at acquiring a left wing. You've already got Thornton, Galchenyuk, McKayab, and Simmons on the left side, and there's some age there, and, and you want to protect yourself. So I firmly believe that whoever that person is plays with, with that mix of, of the other four guys, and they've solved their depth problem on the left side, which is created really by the age of, of Thornton and, and maybe the age of Simmons, and you just need an extra body there, don't you? You do, um, because depth is never a bad thing, right? You're not going to go through the playoffs if you end up going three, four rounds, which is obviously the goal, uh, relying on just four guys uh, in a position. Like, you're going to need someone else to chip in. And if, if any one of those guys goes down right now, the list is, is a lot shorter in, in terms of, of who you're looking at. I mean, are you, are you comfortable... Uh, turning to Kenny Agostino. I mean, you want a little bit more there than than what Kenny Agostino is probably able to offer you at this point. So um, you go out, you acquire a left wing. If that pushes Galchenyuk out of the lineup or whatever it might be, or if, if Thornton isn't playing well or needs a, a period of time um, off to not, to, to not sort of run him ragged, then you can turn to a guy who's an NHL caliber forward. But beyond uh, beyond what they have currently in the lineup, uh, there, there's not a lot of depth there. So it's, it's, a, it's an area of, of weakness, quite honestly, that I think uh, Kyle understands and, and that they're going, to, uh, they're going to go out and address. 
Yeah, and again, with all due respect to uh, Alex Kerfoot, if he's to move out of there, as you detailed nicely, Engvall could move up. We talked with Todd Crocker, voice of the Marlies, earlier this week, and he just detailed a, a bunch of guys who could easily fit on the fourth line and have actually played on it before. So there's no problem that way. So, I mean, this thing has to happen, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it, it does. There's If you go in with the lineup that you have up front right now, I think you're putting yourself at a bit of a disadvantage. Again, it's difficult from a, a cap standpoint uh, to make the move that you'd like to make. And, and in order to make it, you may have to pay uh, a heftier price than ordinarily you'd like to pay. But it goes back to what we were saying. Um, there, there has never been, to me at least, Jim, as far as I can remember, uh, at this point in the season, which is essentially the halfway point of a season, uh, a more clearly definable path to the third round of the, the playoffs, right? right. Like it, it's going to go through either Winnipeg or Edmonton, you know, or maybe Montreal if they get it together. Calgary, they've got some work to do yet. But, like, none of those teams, if you're the Leafs, should you sit back and look at those teams, none of those teams should scare you. Like, they really shouldn't. There is, there is no reason why they can't beat uh, two of those teams in a playoff round. Um to get to the third round. So um, if, if the Leafs were to hang a banner um, from the rafters of the Scotiabank and it said 2021 Stanley Cup champions on it, in 10 years, no one is going to look back on it and say, oh, well, you know, that was the year that they only played within their division and they only had to beat like six teams in order to get to the, to the conference final and then they only had to beat two more. So like there should kind of be an asterisk to it. Nobody is going to say that in 10 years. You can hang a banner that's all people are going to want to know. And this year, I think of, of all of the years that I can think of with the caliber of team plus the, the clearly definable path might be the year to push your chips to the center of the table and try and win something. Yeah, Stanley Cup is a Stanley Cup. Uh, there is no explanation required. I just want to go back to, uh, to one thing, and, uh, and that is if they were to acquire a rental player, I mean, they, even though the price might be high, they could always say to the guy, well, we almost won the cup or we won the cup. Would you mm-hmm. like to stay? And here's the rate you'd have to sign at. And then they wouldn't have to worry about protecting them in the expansion draft. So there's, there's always a, there's always an answer, right? There is. And that's another good point is that they're likely to lose some expansion draft with, with some level of, of term and, and dollar figure um, on their cap. I mean, will you want to lose whoever it is you might lose? No, but in a way you get something back because cap space, is is um, is an asset uh, nowadays, and and quite honestly, you know, people get all concerned and worked up about who who they could end up losing. The guy you you lose is going to be what your eighth, ninth most effective player, as as you deem from within your organization. It shouldn't derail your program to lose that guy, right? Like, yeah. I mean, that's just the. You, you've, you're not losing Matthews or Marner or Tavares or Nylander or Riley. You know, you're losing a good player, but uh, let's be honest, a, a depth player here. So shouldn't derail your program. You'll get some cap space back. It'll allow you to go out and address uh, other areas that you may have to address again in the offseason. So that's certainly a, a consideration to keep in mind as well. Yeah, I mean, the expansion loss to me is uh, you already have his replacement in your farm system or you've drafted him or you're about to draft him. So, I mean, this was a, a movable part anyway. You should. I mean, if you don't have that answer internally, then that speaks to bigger issues. But, um, you know, if you look at 
who the Leafs could end up losing uh, a year for, you know, in, in the fall. You would hope that if you still have Nick Robertson, if you don't include him in a trade, uh, you, and, and this, I think, would be coupled in terms of how they uh, decide who they, who they protect. If they end up um, pr- uh, moving a guy like Robertson to, to acquire a rental player, you have to figure who they will protect will be to insulate themselves from losing um, that type of a guy at forward, and then they're more likely to lose a D-man. Then you can plug in a guy like Rasmus Sandin, who you hope by the fall should be able to fill that role. If you should lose a forward, vice versa, you'd hope that by the fall, a guy like Robertson would be able to come in and take on those minutes. That's, um, that's the hope, and, and that's why you draft in order to continue to stock that cupboard. So I don't really look at the, the expansion draft and who they might lose as a huge concern because I think they've got the, the options internally to fill uh, whatever minutes they, they may end up needing to fill because of that. And now, as promised, here's that conversation with John Abbott. think you'll enjoy it. Okay, John. When you when you see the Leafs play now, tell me what you see because I'd be interested in your perspective. You have you've got the play-by-play background and, and you're looking at them from a distance. I see a team that finally appears to be ready to take the next step. And for some people, maybe that means out of round one. <laughs> for others, uh, maybe maybe that means getting back to those glory days that that Leafs fans live through every year. I think whether it's a big portion of the fan base or a small portion, every year there's a portion that convinces themselves this is the year. And I think they're closer to potentially fulfilling that this season than they have been in a while. And look, Jim, at the the moves of a Joe Thornton coming to town. Uh, Previous to that, Jason Spezza. You know, it's not like uh, some of those days when they were uh, going through and beating the Ottawa Senators routinely when you had all the veteran names and it was overloaded with veterans. This time, they've been able to have the infusion of youth that lead the team sprinkle with those veteran ads that you feel are, you know, the final pieces to the puzzle. So I think it's really encouraging for the Maple Leafs and their fans. And, of course, now the question will come is, is um, are those moves good enough to get them through the thick of, of the postseason challenges? Yeah, what I, what I like about it, and I like your reaction to this, they obviously have the offensive core is set. And as you say, they bring in a, a Thornton and uh, and also a Simmons to, to add to the core. And I like what they did in the blue line because that's that's solid for the first time in, in decades, really. But but this is an ongoing process. And, and sometimes when the, the team wins the Stanley Cup, you realize that the core has been there for a long time and it's just finding the right supportive pieces. And I don't know that what they have here this year turns into a Stanley Cup, but they're on the way to one at some point. I don't know what year it is. But as long as you can keep that core together, it'll happen. And you know what? Somehow they've been able to continue to have uh, a bona fide number one goaltender in Freddie Anderson. Somehow they've been able to pay those top end players and retain them and make it all work because not every franchise can do that. And then you're right. You're adding the, the key pieces along the way. And what I like about what the Leafs have done is... Every year you learn something about your team and you learn about other teams and what's made them successful. And, and you and I both know that sometimes uh, when we talk about NHL being a copycat league, sometimes it's too much of the mirror image. And what worked for Boston isn't going to exactly work for, you know, another team. But the Leafs seem to have a good blend, uh, kind of as you were describing. It seems like they have a pretty good blend. 
And, you know, Simmons is a great name to bring up. I don't think that's one to pass over, so I'm glad you did because uh, as much as you can get by with talent, and we found that out even before Kadri left town, is there has to be sandpaper, but it, it needs to be experienced sandpaper uh, that knows those moments in the postseason uh, when you can change the momentum of a hockey game positively for your team. And I think that's the guy they expect to be able to do that. Yeah, and sometimes also, I mean, you bring in support players and some of them leave, some of them stay around, and then for whatever reason, a draft choice matures a little faster. Sometimes it's just an odd coincidence of things coming together, and and that can't happen without a core. So, the, you know, job one is, is already done for the Leafs, and we'll see where it goes. Uh, I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, they, they arrived in Vancouver riding the high horse of absolutely doing a job on Edmonton, and then, then the Canucks figured out to push back. So, you know, and now everybody's a little down on the Leafs getting set for a series with Calgary because, you know, they, they went after the, the Edmonton series, they went one and five. And I just think that, you know, everybody goes through a, a downtime in this schedule, this compressed schedule. And this is the least battle with adversity. What's your take on that? You're right. I, I share most of uh, the opinion you just gave in the sense that uh, you look around the league and you see the Ottawa Senators, they're going to find wins this year and they're going to surprise some teams this year and they're going to grow this year. And I know Leaf fans don't want to hear that, but you know they've been on the right end of some scores with teams shaking their head on the other end going, how did this happen? And look no further than the Joey Decord performance yes. uh, from, from uh, you know not that long ago. So you eventually run into an opponent that maybe is more rested or is going to have your number, especially when you've been able to game plan for them. I think that's such a unique element of this year as well, Jim, is when you find a way to play a team as often as you do through this North Division continuous battle, I mean, the way that coaches break down the game, that games now, the way that players study film, the way that you can feel out the opposition, not only through a three-game set, but also you know, down the line, if the roster doesn't change that much, you're going to have a mental image of how to play those uh, teams better and how to game plan against the guys you need to shut down. So all of that with the fact that Toronto was on short rest, yeah, I think it added up in the wrong direction for them. However, I will say this. Uh, there are teams that feel that they are playoff teams, and if, if those teams, like Toronto, uh, cannot find a way to close out games, it's not all the time, but that is a hallmark of a, a team that's going to win in the postseason is finding a way not to give games away or finding a way to have the extra little bit if it's a low-scoring game to be able to, to close that game out. So you monitor that, but you're right. I think most teams are going through this season with incredible highs at times and surprising lows at others. Well, and opportunity knocks. This is a strange season. Uh, the Leafs are very close. I don't know what they do at the trade deadline, but I was impressed that Kyle Dubas would say, uh, just the other day that he's willing to part with a with a good asset, a, a good a good prospect, and you know obviously there's cap considerations, but they're ready to roll the dice, and I think that's where they are. They've got a number of years of of trying to get to, with what they have, and they they know they have to add. They know they have the cores. We we said earlier, and if they could bring in the right guy, even if it's a rental, go for it. Well, I like that, Jim, because that's the aggressiveness I think the Toronto Maple Leafs should uh, be showing the rest of the National Hockey League. And, and that's a confidence because they feel, as we've talked about before, that they, they've built a roster that they can win with. And they want to make absolutely sure they leave no stone uncovered when you're going into the time of year when you're an injury away maybe from altering the results. And so why not stack the chips? And we all know they went the high price coach method. 
And that didn't work. <laughs> we all know that they've built this core, as you talked about. Uh, they have the GM. He has his coach. So I think the clock is ticking on this current incarnation of management and front office staff, even though the Shannon plan, he told everyone it took time. It has taken time. And he's now moved this team to a place where everybody believes in it. But the clock is still ticking, I think, on the current incarnation. And so I think it is time to go all in if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they'd like to get past the first round, which has been a problem. And last year, couldn't even get through the play-in round. And Columbus did a nasty job on them. So uh, the time is now. Let's go. Speaking of time, let's go back in time to when you were Joe Bowen's backup in the radio booth. And you were the last one because Bonesy's uh, television career was curtailed. And he does all the games now, uh, barring injury, which he had a, a voice problem. And Todd Crocker, who was with us earlier this week, uh, also had had his moment to, to fill in for Bonesy. Uh, having said that, you did the 13-14 season, which is the year after the lockout uh, shortened season, or as I like to say, the season following May 13th, 2013, at approximately 9.20 at night, the occurrence was recorded where the Leafs uh, dissipated a nice lead in Boston and exited. So you picked it up after that, and, and we were all expecting that because of that season, and it was shortened, that things were going to move forward. They did not. They did not. And that is, boy, there's so many different ways you can go. <laughs> Sadly for the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, when you mention those seasons, uh, I won't forget it, obviously, uh, for many reasons. One, that that was the, the team that I grew up following and the, the games that I grew up mimicking to try and uh, improve my skills in the broadcast booth. And then you get into the booth with uh, our dear friend Jim Ralph as my right-hand man, and and uh, he's just wonderful. We have the connection going back to Ottawa uh, with the 67s as well. And then Joe Bowen, the legend. And you realize that each and every time you're broadcasting, you're you're taking little things from both uh, Bonesy and from Ralphie. And then you, you get into the game. My first one was in Nashville. It was a 4 nothing shutout win. Hey, this is pretty good. Life in the NHL. All right, a shutout win. Well, little did I know... That was not necessarily the arc of how the season was going to go. And you learn a lot of things along the way. But for, uh, for that era, I still think that that's why this is such an important year as well, Jim. Or, you know, maybe it's next year, although I'm sure uh, Leaf fans are tired of talking about that the next year. It's so tough to erase that game seven. From Boston. And yeah, there's been disappointments after that too. (laughs) Yeah, right. There's been disappointments after that too. But the initial one, when you think the decision has already played itself out and uh, the way that the Maple Leafs played at at home in that series was finally going to translate and uh, get them the win they were looking for on the road. And I was part of that broadcast on the TV side, Leafs TV back in Toronto at the Air Canada Centre. So we were looking out to Leafs Nation that had gathered. All right, yeah. Right uh, on Bremner and the just plotting the reactions as the game started to move closer to a tie, then going to overtime, and then seeing the ultimate uh, decision. I think the only reason things didn't go sideways is it was early in the week. Like it was, it was early in the week and, and people were – uh, moving into work the next day, and it wasn't and it was uh, the start night. of a weekend. It was a Sunday night, so yeah, approximately nine twenty. I don't want to. <laughs> that that was probably the only reason things didn't go completely sideways. Because I won't forget the looks on those people's faces for a long time. I won't for none of us will forget the the aspects of the game and what happened, what transpired. But living that down, 
is one of those franchise curses that until you actually lift the Stanley Cup over your head, it will always be a part of what people are thinking when they see a score late in the hockey game and a team you've had trouble with. So that that's going to haunt them for a long time. Well, it's unfortunate, but that's that, that's their DNA, and that's what they're trying to, to get over. And, and even this year on home ice against Ottawa, they blew a 5-1 lead. Uh, late in the second period, it became 5-2, and 6-5 Ottawa wins in overtime. So everybody knows that script. I mean, it's it's burned into a Leaf fans and a broadcaster's uh, a, a DNA our own. Like we just, when we watch the team, you go, oh, I know what's going to happen. I've seen that one before. <laughs> Craziness, isn't it? It is. And you think of how the team has changed its complexion since then. And you went through, uh, well, Randy Carlisle, <laughs> some, some, some stop gaps. And I think most people thought, okay, Mike Babcock here is going to be the change in course. This is when the team starts to separate itself from, uh, you know, that other, I guess you can call it an era, but those days where everything fell short and we know that that didn't happen either. So I think again, to, to go back to what we were talking about just before, it does feel like this is the group to try and shed the demons and other teams have been there before too. Uh, the market I, I work in in Vancouver knows all too well what happened when they won, uh, went to the Stanley Cup final again against uh, Boston. Uh, but to get there, they had to beat the Hawks, and that was their arch nemesis at the time. And so uh, it can be done, but hockey fans have long memories, and I'm sure Toronto would love to give them something else to perch up there because that one's not going away anytime soon. <laughs> well, I guess you were going through that. I thought you were there as I was for the birth of the 18-wheeler going off the cliff. Indeed. Uh, yeah, I know uh, we had to actually – we had to tap man. We had to stop post game shows because the fans were too loud at gate five live. Yeah. We had to stop. Um, we had to adjust our on air time. So we had to stop where we prepared to go on air immediately after the game. We had to stop until the fans had left the rink because they were gathering as an angry mob and could, <laughs> no one else could hear anything. And most of what they were saying was not favorable uh, if you were the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, yeah, it was uh, life was coming at them fast in those days and uh, not in a good way. Think of the scrutiny, though. I mean, there you are. You're doing a game. The game was in Boston and you're presenting the game for the people at what was then called the ACC. Uh, I was on Game 7 on TSN 1050. The other radio station had their version of the game. And then there's the TV. There was literally four versions of that game. And and the four four sets of disappointed leaf pants. Oh, my goodness. No escaping. And, oh. and there was none. <laughs> well, sadly, that wasn't the last time we revisited that crime scene. Wow. Oh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to think that. And... You can go through, you can go through the rosters, and there's, you know, there's players that have no connection to that, and yet they do because they're yes. members of the Toronto Maple Leafs, yeah. and they're playing in the postseason. So even when you think you're you're free and clear, absolutely not until this team. I think it's even getting more than to a conference final. I think it's actually getting to a Stanley Cup final, and results yeah. will determine the rest of that. But I think until they get to a final. Those days will always be a talking point. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's all been done, and they got to the final four before years ago under the Pat Burns regime, and so uh, they they have to get there. It came close with Pat Quinn, but 
uh, that, that's not good enough anymore. And, and in fact, the one and five stretch they had after the sweep of Edmonton had people referring back to the 18 wheeler came out of the garage again. That's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> oh, Ber- you know what? Berkey was, um, Berkey was part of a group that brought me in to do the Marley's games, although he wasn't directly, uh, you know, I didn't meet with him directly. I happened to cross paths with him during the interview process. He stopped, he shook my hand and said, don't F it up. And so <laughs> he's always been great for whether he likes it or not for a quote in almost any situation. But I'm sure there's a few times where he wished maybe um, the the phrases didn't turn into catchphrases and uh, didn't live on as long as they have. Yeah. Now, listen, uh, if you worked with Ralphie and you were a rookie, I'm sure, I'm sure Ralphie went out of his way to welcome you. Ralphie was awesome. Uh, you know what? We, we shared a lot of laughs as you would expect. Yeah. <laughs> he, he did make it comfortable for me. And whether it was because we had known each other previously, maybe it's because, uh, we had the 67s connection. Uh, but, but he took care of me in the booth. And, uh, I'm sure when you go from having the veteran polished trademark Joe Bowen, to the rookie greenhorn hasn't been to all the rinks, let alone uh, trying to put together the broadcast. That is a stark contrast and a vast difference. And Ralphie didn't let on like it was a big deal. So I, I, I still thank him so much for getting me through that first season. And of course he had fun at his expense, my expense, but that's, part of what makes it fun so it was a great season but that's in the booth i'm sure he had an initiation for you outside of the booth because he's notorious for that you know what he was uh you know what he was pretty he was pretty kind to me that way i think really yeah i can't say there was anything uh there wasn't any too there wasn't too many old school moments um and at that point i think the group had been together long enough uh the traveling group that they'd kind of seen it all, done it all, and all right. Well, we're just uh, we're going to try and let these these youngsters figure uh, some things out here. So yeah, there wasn't any. I can't. I'd love to tell you more stories on that, but he, I just say he treated me well, and so maybe I got let off the hook. Timing is everything, as you know, and and so you had good timing that way. So tell us about how you got into this. I mean, you know, who are your influences? What, how did this happen? Did you was it all? It must. I have a theory that most people that do this type of work, it's just there. You're born with it. You don't know where the hell it comes from, but it's there, and you have to do it. It's amazing you bring that up because my father, I, my father is in the lumber business, and so was his brother. So is his father. And uh, beyond that, so I was certainly breaking the chain of the family business by deciding to go into broadcasting, which was a unique surprise uh, at a certain point in my life and in theirs. But, uh, you know, fortunate to have family support and right from a young age, taking uh, business trips with my dad, like I'd bring a tape recorder with me and I would do news reports. And I don't even remember all of this, but he would tell me this. So I'm sitting there as a you know, five-year-old talking into a tape recorder. And little did I know that uh, you ask my teachers, they'll probably tell you I talk too much too. So somewhere this was brewing and uh, the the love never really went away. 
I was fortunate enough that local cable was a bigger deal in those times. And I could get my foot in the door at Rogers Cable, even in a small town. And that lets you grow. It lets you make some mistakes. It prevent, uh, provides you an opportunity. And I was fortunate to be able to do that, get into the, uh, into the Ontario Hockey League through that. And the rest is putting it in the time and being willing to do it all. So I, I am so fortunate for the opportunities. And as you know, the people the amount of great people that you meet and those that help you along the way. Uh, so very thankful for all of it. And yeah, somewhere back there as that four or five year old doing news reports, this is quickly what I wanted to transition to. And I just never gave up. And it, it doesn't mean that it's not without a lot of help along the way, but very thankful that it turned out to, to become possible. And there's so many great broadcasters that I looked up to, but you think of, again, growing up in Ontario, it's uh, Bob Cole, Harry Neal, you know, Joe Bowen, he wouldn't want me to say that he's, he's not that old, but Joe Bowen and, uh, and Jim Ralph, you take what's in front of you, you take the gentleman that set the bar yeah. and you hope that you can uh, produce a broadcast at some point after all that practice that, is good enough to be at some level close to where they are. So, yeah, it was a dream come true. Does your dad still have the tapes? <laughs> Even if he does, I don't know that there's any device that can play him anymore. So I'm I, off the hook. I like you see what's behind me. I've got all kinds of old devices. Here. Oh, can, I'd be help, in trouble. I can, I can help him out. So, I mean, come on. You must have done play-by-play. -play. There's dad pulling in the driveway. Oh, he slammed the car door. He's not in a good mood. You must have done something like that, right? uh pretty pretty early i like i think if you talk to most play-by-play -play guys somewhere they ended up at a rink with any kind of game in front of them and they were doing it and not only in their head but probably into a into some kind of recording device back then i was the same uh we used to have junior b in in my hometown i'd sit in the stands and i'd start talking into my like look around and think of how that appeared to the rest of the people yeah. that you know, aren't really paying attention to me, but then you cross paths or connect eyes. And it's like, is that kid talking to himself into a tape recorder? <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. But uh, you do those funny things, believing in yourself and because you have a passion and you just, it's, it is in some ways such a niche that it's hard to, descri to describe. And you alluded to that, Jim. For some reason, we would understand that as uh, broadcast colleagues. I don't know if other people do, but it's just something you do when you're that passionate about it. And I can remember roommates telling me to shut up when I'm in the shower practicing names <laughs> or in my room that's right beside theirs, you know, yeah. like you, all the little things that you do that you, you hope make a difference. And then when you get there, um, you don't take it for granted. You, you realize you got to keep working hard. So thankfully... I guess for all the, the people that helped me that uh, paid off for a short time. Well, I mean, there are broadcast families, uh, but uh, you and I didn't come from one of them. So I, I don't know, you know, it just, it just so happens. I, I often thought that a year ago when we first went into that lockdown and everybody was afraid to go outside, I, when I first started to walk around, I felt like I was in play-by-play -play school because you noticed everything, right? There's a woman walking down this side of the street. Is she going to cross in front of me? No, she doesn't. It, it's really, it was remarkable because uh, you hadn't been out for a while. And when you were walking around, you noticed everything. And I thought that's play-by-play -play school right there. 
Which is great because if you can translate that into a day to day and that becomes, again, what you enjoy and what you take, uh, you know, to kind of to break the out of the doldrums of what we were going through at the early stages of the pandemic. That's awesome. And it relates to how much we, we, we have joy in doing what we do, no matter what happens, no matter what form it takes. And there were certainly family members that were like, that were asking me, hey, can you can you do that? I've seen some guys do this on the internet during the pandemic. Can you commentate me jumping into the pool? Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Stuff. Yeah. You have fun with it. And uh, you never I don't know, even if even if you're fortunate to do games at at any level, but uh, the National Hockey League level especially, and if for some reason you have to move on and Jim, you can you can tell me if it's the same for you, but you never really lose that. Somewhere, even if you've changed your job description or title, that's always going to be with you. And strangely, you never really lose that. No, in fact, I did real estate for ten years, and and there were parts of the ten years where I did both. And but when I started in real estate, people would say, "What's the difference between this and broadcasting?" I said, "There's no show at eleven <laughs> That, that was the only difference because the rest of the day was the same, right? You did all your prep. You went on the computer. You found out about properties. But there was no show at 1130, which which was a, a major void, I got to tell you. <laughs> oh, it is. And and that's – I love the, the business and I love the small world nature of it as it relates to hockey, but even just in broadcasting because those are the people that you work with. Those are the people that you encounter – and for most of us, it almost has to be uniform that we have that that uh, desire built in, but the passion to keep going with it. And it's just the joy of doing whatever it takes, whatever you're prepping for, whatever you're getting ready for. There's, it's. I don't know if it relates to to playing a sport at the highest level, but it feels like it's that it's that moment that you get ready for and you just can't wait until you get that next moment uh, oh. because it's so much fun. And literally everybody you're working with is trying to make the broadcast better. So that doesn't apply in a lot of job uh, functions where everybody's working to better the product because there's, there's you know situations that aren't like that. But in broadcasting, you're always trying to make it better. Absolutely. And you hope you have enough experiences that allow you to learn along the way so that when you get to a point where other people are depending on you, you can continue to raise the bar and you can support them too. And, you know, that's one of the things that I think of a lot is for, I don't put an on-air person above uh, somebody that's working on the technical side, but no one can see or hear the people that are working behind the scenes, so to speak, on the technical side, but we are the avenue to a good show for them. They might have they might have an aces uh, broadcast as far as pulling off their own job description is, but if somebody on the air messes it up, they're going to take that personally too because we're all part of that team and and it reflects back on everybody. So you're right. Every you know everyone involved is is pulling on the same rope. Everybody wants to keep the standard high, and that's the kind of mentality I hope I continue to take in because. It's a special group when you're involved with it, uh, no matter where you're involved with it. And that's one of the best things about it. John, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it.
last minute of play in this podcast. Well, there's the time warning from Mike Ross, our PA announcer. We got to get this in. We got to cram it in. So, Yes Guy Awards, even though the Leafs didn't play this week, I found a couple. Yes Guy number one, Alex Galchenyuk, who did a nice job with the Marlies. You know, they acquired him uh, in a roundabout way from Ottawa, though it's through Carolina. So, he had to report to the Leafs. Didn't have to go through quarantine because he was with Ottawa. Never really did report to Carolina. And then all of a sudden found himself in the Marlies. Didn't pout, went down to the Marlies. Played his way back up to the Leafs. Gets a really good opportunity. So I always like when you have to bet on the player because the player knows what's going on and he will respond. So yes, guy, to Alex Galchenyuk. Wayne Simmons back in the Leafs lineup tonight. Oh, did they miss him? Wayne Simmons back. Yes, guy. Now, here's the no guy. Bernie Anderson admitted he's still got a lower body injury and is playing through it. I don't like that. I don't know that we should have known that he has the lower body injury, and I don't know that he should be playing. I'll defer to the doctors here, but it just gives you a sort of an uneasy feeling, especially going into two games against Calgary where they tend to sit on Leaf goalie. So I'm going to go no guy. Hope you enjoyed Episode 20. Hope you come back for Episode 21 on Tuesday.